First Peter chapter three, verse seven. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Lord God, we come before you and ask for you to help us this morning. Speak to our hearts, God. I, I pray that the hearts of the men who are married in this room, would, their, their hearts would be open to what your spirit is saying to us, Lord. And I pray for the uh, younger men who have yet to be married, Lord, or uh, those who are single, Lord, anticipating marriage. I pray that we would hear now what your spirit is saying and that we would have those hearts of humility. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, amen. Peter, after teaching uh, Christian wives to submit to their husbands, is now speaking to believing husbands. And here in verse seven, Peter says to husbands, in the same way, likewise, be considerate as you live with your wives. That phrase, in the same way, or likewise, uh, goes back to that overarching principle of these verses found back in, in verse 13 of chapter 2. Flip back to cha uh, chapter 13, verse 2. And Peter says there, if you just back one verse, what does it say? Oh, look it, they got a cheater things up there. Open your Bibles. Good job, everybody. <laughs> 13, chapter 2. John, turn my voice down, down a little bit, please. 13. Sorry, chapter 2, verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. This is what Peter has pivoted off of and now is teaching forward to the church. This is the principle. And so now he just starts hitting every single relationship. And so Peter proceeds to explain how believers are to live as born-again believers among people who are not born again and not following Jesus Christ. And so we are to submit to earthly authorities. That's the principle. And the reason that we are to do so is out of reverence for and trust in the Lord. The reason that we submit to these institutions that are set up is because of our trust in the Lord and our reverence for Him. That's the primary number one reason. Because as believers, we are confident in our great salvation. Peter talked about that in chapter one. What a great salvation we have. No matter what is going on on earth, that we have an unshakable inheritance in Christ Jesus. And he just continues to teach people, no matter what circumstances you're in, how you live in light of what you have and who you are in Christ. I love that. That our great salvation is wrapped up in the return of Jesus Christ. It's going to be manifested. What began in our hearts, the kingdom in our hearts, is going to be manifested when Christ returns to the earth to establish his kingdom. And now, while we are waiting, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, we submit. Why? Because we know that it's just a matter of time before God rights the wrongs. We don't need to usurp the authority. He's going to come and speak. We don't need to um, worry about what's going to happen around us and, and why all the bad things are happening and how can I just you know, muster my strength to overthrow it. I can submit to God and trust him that he'll even work in the circumstances. And this is the interesting thing. God doesn't work through our power and our strength. He works in, through our weakness. Isn't that wild? That when we humble ourselves, 
God lifts us up. People are not one to Christ by dominating them and telling them all these types of things, but by modeling Christ to them. Now, yes, the Holy Spirit does use truth to cut to people's hearts. That is true. We're not to not be truth speakers. But let me tell you, we're to be truth livers. Amen. In other words, what the gospel that we preach is to be lived out in our lives, and that's what he's, he's getting at. And Peter speaks to this in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, live such good lives among the unbelievers, the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I want you to think right now of the terrible circumstance that you find yourself in. Don't let anybody know, but I'm just saying. And you guys have a, a rough marriage, a rough go of things. You got a rough, uh, you know, maybe a parent who's a freak. You've got a husband, wife. Um, you've got some kind of relationship that has been difficult long term. It's just not going away. You got a, a, a job. You've got a teacher. You've got all those things going. You see all these relationships that you just kind of can't get out of, so to speak. He's not even telling you to get out of them. But he says, live such good lives around that person. Live such a good life around that person that though they accuse you of doing wrong, though they kind of, they, they, they peck at you and they, they blame you and they go, oh, you're such a prude, you follow Christ, even though they accuse you of doing wrong, that nothing sticks, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now listen to this. That isn't like, that they, I don't think this is saying that they may fall down in terror at God before, which you will if you don't repent, by the way. But I think what he's saying is you live such a good life that they come to Christ. They see your good deeds and, and, and your life is a testimony of the gospel and they go, there's something to this person. Is Why would they endure such crud? And their goodness only magnifies my evil and God, save me. The Holy Spirit convicts them and they come to Christ because of you. Now, I don't know about you, but what are you being taught? But what does the world say when you're in circumstances that are unjust? Fight. Fight Fight back. Get your own. Establish your rights, your authority, all those types of things. Correct? What does the Bible say? Trust God. Submit. Isn't that wild? Isn't that different? Why? Because he's going to make all things right. I'm not going into specifics this morning. There's specifics where I would counsel people uh, differently in certain circumstances, but the general principle is that we submit, okay? And that's the key, that why we submit, even in difficult circumstances, that some might see how we live and come to Christ and would know God and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's the kind of faith that glorifies God. So Peter says, submit to government, slaves or servants, same word, interchangeable, submit to your masters, don't give them a reason to doubt. Let them see Christ in you if they're good or bad or whatever the situation is. Good governments, bad governments, good masters, bad masters. No matter what it is, submit and give yourself over to a godly life. That does not mean that we violate God in our submission. That does not mean that we do things that would violate Scripture. That is not the submission we're talking about. So Peter says, submit. And then Peter says in chapter 2, 21 through 23, to this you were called <clears throat> uh, because Christ suffered for you, leaving 
you as you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That's a life verse. Underline that one. To this you were called. Anybody want to know your calling? You're called to suffer well. How many of you like that one? It's not the one I underline. I underline, you know, the promises and all these types of things. I love that too, by the way. Underline those. They're yours as well. But to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. How? He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. How? When they hurled their insults at him, he did not what? Retaliate. We are not to be a people who retaliate because Christ did not retaliate. He gave us that example. I don't know about you, but when I get cornered or penned or talked to in a way I don't appreciate and called names or whatever it is, what do, what, what do you like to do? I want to retaliate. I want them to feel the way I feel. I want to just cut them with my tongue. You don't know, have anybody else? No. Repent. Knock that off, Matt. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's not godly living. We're to shut that off. We're not to retaliate. And it says, when he suffered, he made no what? Threats. That's our example. We keep our mouths shut and we don't hurt people. Instead, what does he do? He entrusts himself to him who judges justly. Uh, Luke eleven, eighteen or 18, 1, I can't remember, a little dyslexia setting in there. We entrust ourselves to the Lord. There's a widow who cried out to an unjust judge constantly and, and he would not listen to her. And Jesus uses that as a parable saying, listen, when I come back, will there even be faith found on the earth like this widow who persistently called out to this unjust judge? And if your father is the one who just judgely, uh, who judges justly, there we go, um, you know, will, will, we just, will we continue to plead our case to God? That's faith. And so Peter says, go ahead and submit. We follow Christ, trusting God, making things right, uh, uh, trusting him until he makes things right on the day he comes. And last week, in chapter three, verses one through two, he continues on, says, wives, in the same way, the same way that we submit to government, the same way that we slaves submit to masters, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Why? So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And again, the context is there's wives who come to the Lord and their husbands are not believers. What do you do? Submit. That's hard. Believing wives are the evangelists in that relationship. How do they evangelize? Yes, with the word, but what happens when they don't receive the gospel, the spoken word? How is it to be backed up? by how you live. Through their godly character and conduct demonstrated in submission. And that's the principle that the Lord gives for wives. And then in verse seven of chapter three where we pick up today, notice I didn't wait on that for too long. We're in chapter, se- uh, chapter uh, three, verse seven. He says, husbands in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Time to go. Again, the context is just, it's just like wives who out of reverence for trust in God, they submit themselves to their husbands. So husbands out of reverence and trust for the Lord are 
to cons- be considerate to their wives. They're to consider their wives. And the, scri- the scriptures are clear that in a Christian marriage, there is to be a godly mutual submission, a godly mutual submission. That is absolutely clear in the New Testament teaching. But what if a, a, a believing husband has an unbelieving wife? Um, how is he to win her? Uh, through force, through domination, to uh, kind of like the Roman Catholic Church did to everybody, you're all now Christians, whether you believe or not? No, it's a kingdom of the heart. I'm talking about in history, okay? It's a kingdom of the heart. And so how, how, do you, how do you win your wife? No, by considering his wife. And we'll see that played out as a kind of a subplot because that's the context here. But by God's design, the role of a husband and a wife, they're going to be complementary. Complementary. That is the idea. That is what God's design for husband and wife as each seeks to submit to and to consider one another. That is the godly model for a marriage. Husbands are called to be considerate as we live with our wives. And this means that husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. That is what that word considerate means. To be considerate is to be understanding. The word understanding in Greek is uh, gnosis, which is where we get the English word for knowledge. Gnosis is is knowledge. And that's kind of where we, husbands are to be considerate and that, that you're to know your wives. Oh, this is convicting. Know your wives intimately. That's what the word means, to intimately know your wife. And guys are thinking down one track, and let's be more biblical. Intimately know your wife totally is what it is. We are to be deeply in tune with our wives' deepest physical and emotional needs. That sink in. Husbands, do you know your wives? (laughs) <laughs> does your wife, let's ask the wives, wives, do your husbands know you? <laughs> but it's sad that we as men are, are prone to be more often in tune with, uh, you know, to our shame, to, to sports or to work or to finances or to, you know, the things we like and guns and hunting or whatever it might be than, than our own wives. And, and really, sadly, many of us believing husbands do not consider our wives uh, we, we don't intimately know our wives. We do not know what they need physically or emotionally or spiritually. We think we do, but we really don't. And all the women said, amen. And so <clears throat> may the Lord really a- awaken the believing husband's heart in this church this morning. That's what I'm praying for. And this begins, guys, when we first know Christ above all intimately. To not only to know about, to, but to know him in depth, to, to gnosko him, to, to know him intimately. Paul said in Philippians 3, 10 through 11, he says, I want to know Christ, same word there. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. There's something there. He's saying, I want to know Christ so much, I want to mimic everything he did. I want to be so, I want to know how he thinks and what he feels and what he sought after. I want to be so tied to Christ that, that my life is tied up in his. That intimate knowledge of Christ. And as a believing husband knows Christ intimately, 
As, as we know Christ and as we mimic him in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, guys, as a believing husband knows and follows Christ like that, and as we are in submission to him and following after him, then Christ is going to lead us to consider our wives. And when we consider our wives, it's going to require the death of ourselves. Because that is what Christ did for the church. He considered us. Amen? Our deepest needs. He considered us above himself, which was, by the way, the Father's will. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that beautiful? And wives, isn't that what you truly want? As I'm now discovering. (laughs) You know? Let me ask you. Guys, do you you know what your your wife's physical needs are? Across the board, do you, know, do you know what those are? Do you know what her emotional needs are? Do you know what her spiritual needs are? This is something we have to seek out, and it really often, it does not come naturally to guys. I just want to let the ladies know this is not, we think we've got it, but we really don't. <laughs> I've discovered, but ladies, I hate to break it to you, but we can be pretty thick, and you can be dropping hints all day long, and we are just absolutely clueless, and all the guys know this, and the ladies know it even more. Sometimes, honestly, it's just our sinfulness, it's our selfishness, but often, I would say that it's because that is how guys are, And by the way, God puts you in our lives to help wake us up to that. Amen. We need help in that area. And so I believe that that God putting a a godly wife in our life wakes us up to this other aspect of, I don't even know what to call it. That's how in tune I am with everything. And so thank you, ladies, for hanging in there. Continue to hang in there. (laughs) Keep praying. But guys, do do you know your wife? You know, get, get, get to know her. Ask some questions and listen to her. How many of you have been married for a really long time? How many of you, like, are discovering newish things about your, your spouse? Like, you know, yeah. <clears throat> your one is quite crazy, isn't it? Like, you get married and you think you know someone, you're like, oh my gosh, who are you? <laughs> and then you have kids and they all change, you know, and then... You know them as a mother. You know it's just it's just amazing how we change. And, and you know it's it's interesting in, in my life. In my mind, I you know uh, I change my thinking or I change something. But Christine doesn't pick up on it until I let her know. After a while, and in the same way, the other way is is we are changing people. And unless there's that communication and that intimacy, we kind of just we lose track of each other. And if we let that go on too long. Um, when the kids are out of the house, you have nothing left, nothing in common, and it can be very dangerous. And so ask some questions. Really interesting, I have this premarital counseling book that I, uh, that I use. <laughs> it's, uh, I got some people in here have gone through it. But, uh, you know, questions that I, that I wish I was asked before I was married. Uh, this is by John Piper. I really love this. Uh, just like some questions. Husbands and wives, what is, this is questions you're supposed to answer. And, and I have them answer these separately, like not together, separately, because I want them to come into the room and go, what's the answer to this? And then they give their answer, and I just want them to see how different they are. 
and what they think about different things. And so um, what is the meaning of headship and submission in the Bible and in our marriage? What are the expectations about situations where one of you might be alone with someone from the opposite sex? How are the tasks shared in the home? The finances, cleaning, cooking, washing dishes, yard work, car upkeep, repairs, shopping for food, and household stuff. Isn't it interesting how you would, we would answer these questions and then when actually you get together and you start sharing what those are, like, oh, I thought you were gonna do the yard work, honey. You know, and she's like, what? Like, that's not what happens. What are the expectations for togetherness? Uh, in other words, uh, children. Uh, if and when should we have, a ch- have children, why? How many? How far apart? What would we consider, would we consider adop- adoption? What are the standards of, of behavior? What are appropriate ways to discipline them? How many strikes before they are whatever? I mean, all these little intricacies. And so we just, I just go through, and it gets really in-depth and crazy. And what you find out is you have two different people. And unless there's communication... And those people are committed to doing what God says over what they want or whatever they grew up with. Good luck. Amen? So husbands, do you know your wives? (laughs) Ask some questions. Find out. Listen. This is advice I'm giving myself. So husbands are to consider their wives. Be tuned into them as you live with them. And that term for live life, it means, as you live life with them, means living with someone in intimacy, as you cherish one another, and that's the idea. So we are to be tuned into and looking for how to cherish the inner workings of our wives' hearts. And I want to explore that further for a minute. What does that mean to consider our wives, to know them intimately as we live life? This doesn't mean happy wife, happy life. I know that's a little quick, fun phrase. Happy wife, happy life. No, you can have a really selfish wife and, and you just feed this pit that never ends. No, we want to lead them in Christ, amen? Amen, ladies? Amen. You know you're selfish, come on. Guys are selfish too, absolutely. But it does mean that we consider our wives' needs. And what does that mean? Remember, that is... Uh, well, Peter puts it, well, Paul puts it this way. He makes it easier for us of how we as men are to consider our wives in this way. Ephesians chapter 5, 25 to 28. You'll want to underline those. These are the two major uh, passages. In Peter here, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and also Ephesians chapter 5, 25 through 28, dealing with submission. Okay, so I, when I'm going through marriage counseling or I'm counseling myself, I go back to these verses. And God made it really simple. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. He's given us one thing to do, each of us. By the way, both of those things are love. But here in Ephesians 5.25, he's speaking to husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives. Agape your lives. How? How, do, how does that look? Give me an example. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How many of you heard that before? Okay, that's, that's the guy's example. This is when Paul says, I want to know Christ, I want to know how he lived and what he did, it ties into every aspect of our lives. Husbands, we die. That's how we love our lives. We lay our lives down for our wives. Considering your wife, guys, means considering what she needs above what you need. Considering what she needs above 
above what you need. Now, I would want you to go ahead and go home and, and write down a couple things that you think that she needs above what you need. Think about your plans on how to spend your money and all the things you're going to buy and what you're going to do and all that stuff and go, what would she do? What does she need? Where would she want to go? And just put those above yours. Just do it. Very interesting. And talk to her about it, by the way. She, you, know, you might be projecting. Um, but this often means that you'll, you'll lay aside what you want for her. And Christ is a picture of that who gave himself up for us, putting our need for salvation above even keeping his own life. And so that's the principle for husbands that God is talking about as we consider our, wi- our wives, laying down our lives. And then it gets into specifics here in Ephesians 5, verses 26 and 27. Ephesians 5, 26 explains what a godly wife truly needs, and it does it by explaining how Christ treated the church. In verse 26, it says, to make her holy, he laid down his life to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so guys, your wife has spiritual needs, and those spiritual needs are going to be met by you laying down your life for her. And so just as Christ is the head of the church, and this is the picture, this is the teaching, this is the the crux of the whole thing, just as Christ is head of the church, guys, so husbands are head of their wives. We are the spiritual leaders of the home. We are tasked with considering our wives' spiritual needs. And this has nothing to do about giftedness. This has everything to do about God's call for men. Step up to the plate. But I stink at it, and I, yes, die. Get on the altar and sizzle, right? I keep saying that. It's hard. It's difficult. We're exposed. We realize that they're more spiritual than us sometimes, whatever it might be, but we lay down our lives and we, we, we lean into the calling and, and that God has given us. Why? Because we love her more than we love ourselves. That's the principle. So they have spiritual needs, making sure that the word of God is present and applied in her life. Now, how many of you guys feel totally inadequate in that? Totally. I have a really godly wife. You know, one of my prayers, uh, you know, when I first came to the Lord, you know, it was uh, when, I, when I was hunting for a wife, so to speak, it was only one I hunted, and then, <laughs> I'm a great hunter, <laughs> and it was that, uh, Lord, give me someone who absolutely loves you. Above all, I just want someone who has a heart after you, and he answered big time, you know, Christine loves the Lord, and she knows the Lord intimately, and so it's intimidating And you're like, well, you're a pastor. I'm like, yeah, well, that kind of helped spur this end of it. You know, as, you know, I I was just joking. My aunt had a, I told you about this, but my aunt had a Great Dane, right? And and I've shared this before. My aunt aunt has a Great Dane, and it was like really skinny, like sickly skinny. And I'm like, is that alive even? It looked like bones. And then they got a little dog. And then I came back a few months later, and that dog was so fat, that big, great demon was so fat, because he had the competition going. And I'm just saying, guys, you know, if your wife is in the Bible, let, let that be a spurring to you, not a, not a like, okay, I'm just going to go into my little hole. Dive into it. 
get into the word with her, figure it out, or, or go start going to Bible studies or whatever it is the Lord has put on you. Get with other guys and just say, hey, you know, I need help in this area. And so your wife has spiritual needs, and, and as the spiritual leader of the home, the man is supposed to, to go ahead and, and minister to his wife in these areas um, through the word and prayer, that she'd be sanctified and set apart towards Christ. And, and this also means that we direct our homes in spiritual ways, that we, we, we're the gatekeepers of certain things in our lives. We direct our, our, our lives and our wives in, in godly ways, ways that would honor the Lord. That's difficult. And so we are used by the Lord to help sanctify and set apart our wives as we encourage and pray for our wives in these things of the Lord. And the husband is the spiritual leader of the home. It's not the wife's role to choose what church you go to or, when, or that you go to church or not to go to church. Now, is she a part of that? Obviously, we're a together thing. But I mean, ultimately, it's your responsibility, guys. That's like a wake-up call, huh? That's you. That's, God said that's, that's your role to lead spiritually in the home. And so, man, this means you... You know, you're the one who, who takes your wife to church. You're the one who prays for her. You're the one who teaches her. You nurture her spiritually. That responsibility is on you. And again, I don't think you have to have it all together. How many of you guys are just like, I do not have this all together. She's like a Jedi and I'm like a Padawan. Anyone? Yes, totally. Welcome to the team. God bless you. How many of you wives would go, well, just go for it. I love you anyways. Amen? Amen. I mean, we want a spiritual leader i think women do and and now so don't feel like you have to have, have it all together any like anything else lean into it and trust the lord don't give way to fear and 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 love deeply expose yourself there and just let the lord use you you know um what god has called you to do man he will equip you to do and again this has nothing to do with giftedness and it has everything to do with roles. This has nothing to do with giftedness but has everything to do with roles. And our society is so messed up on this. Somehow we elevate the most gifted people and we deny roles. It's really interesting. Husbands be husbands. Wives be wives. And so wives encourage your husbands in this, please. But not only do we consider our wives' spiritual needs, also the practical and physical needs they have. Verse 28 of Ephesians 5 says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So as husbands, we are to provide for and to protect our wives. And guys, are often really good at this, so good that we often forget to ask our wives what they want or need. Any of you guys do that? Look at all that I brought home for you. Look at all that I did. And they're like, well, hey, uh, that's great and all. However, I'd, I'd consider this. And so the principle is that we are to consider our wives like we consider ourselves. So how do you consider yourselves, guys? Do you like to feed yourself? Do you like to eat certain food? Yeah? Do you protect yourself? Do you care for yourself? Do you like to sleep in? Do you like to not do laundry? <laughs> do you like to not do dishes? Do you like to not hang out with the kids for 24 hours for, for 
in Eon? Do you like to get out? Do you like to have time alone? Do you like to read the news after a long day? Consider your wives in these things. Talk to them about it. Listen to them. Love them. Esteem them above yourself. Serve your wife. Consider her. Believing husbands are to consider our wives like we consider ourselves. Now, right now, in the guy's mind, you're starting to think something. Roll with it. (laughs) Don't go, okay. Write it down. Pray about it. Talk to your wife. Start cracking open that door. And I understand that some relationships are so damaged and so hurt that it's, it's, you're just at a hard place. Let me tell you, there's hope. There's always hope with the Lord. But the way is to let go and to trust God and to really submit yourself to him and to do what God's called you to do regardless of what the other person is doing. And he can bring healing into marriages. But Peter also says in verse seven, and we're almost there, it says, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Our wives aren't dudes. That's my modern translation. They're women. Treat them with proper respect. It's fitting. It's fitting. Now, I understand that women can be tough and all that kind of stuff. That's not, in general, treat them with respect. They're women. Peter calls them the weaker partner. And, and this strictly is referring to physical strength, nothing more. We know that uh, men and women are made in the image of God and each reflect his glory differently. And together, I believe, as a husband and wife, it really does reflect the nature of God. I mean, just, just think about it. Just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all what? God. Why is it the Father who tells everybody else what to do? Wait, I thought Jesus was God, so they must not be equal. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. Jesus is absolutely 100% God, is he not? What about the Spirit? Hardly ever mentioned in Scripture, yet undergirds the whole thing. Wrote the Scriptures, empowers everybody who's speaking. What about the Spirit? So behind the scenes, so hardly seen. Oh, the Spirit must definitely not be God, must be just some kind of active force. No, the Scripture teaches that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. The Spirit actually testifies of the Son. The Son testifies of the Father. The Father testifies of the Son, sends the Spirit to testify the Son. Do you see how that works? They're all complementing and blessing one another in this relationship they've had from all eternity past. And that is what marriage is supposed to be a picture of. There are roles within marriage. The husband is the head. The wife submits. But in no way are they unequal before God. They are equal before God. Absolutely 100%. And by the way, in the age to come, there will be no marriage. Trip out. So no, it's not forever, everybody. Your, your eternal life is, but not your marriage. It's for a here and now purpose, the scriptures teach. And so, what do we do in this age? We do what God has called us to do. Wives, submit your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Mutual, this, this mutual love for one another that is so lost in our society that somehow laying you down your life for someone else is something less. 
So when Peter says to treat wives with respect as the weaker vessel, he's not speaking about inequality before God. The obvious difference he's speaking of is the physical difference. Wives are the weaker vessel physically most of the time, right? That means that a believing husband should be should consider her and therefore use the strength and the authority and the position that he has to love her, to protect her, to provide for her, to lay down his life for her. That's why God's given you all the muscles, guys. Go work and protect and provide and care for her. Does that mean your wife can't work and do all those things? No, it doesn't. But that is your role before God. Remember that that this teaching is radical in the days that it's being written, right? It was revolutionary in that Christian husbands were commanded by God to use their power and position to love and serve their wives. Isn't that wild? Think about that. Middle East, 2,000 years ago. Love and serve your wives with all your strength, guys. If you know the history of the world, that is amazing how the gospel changes men. The gospel comes into a relationship where the guy was dominant and overbearing, and then the gospel teaches them, now use your strength, submit and love your wife, build her up in Christ. What a change. That revolutionized things. You think that's a hard teaching for Peter to walk? You know, today it's like, oh no, don't ruffle the women's feathers by telling them to submit. Well, how about telling the guys Go, go consider your wives in love and, and submit to them 2,000 years ago. How do you think that, w- that went off? That's a hard teaching. But that is what it is. When Christ comes in our hearts, we're not fighting for the top. That's what Satan does. I will establish myself. I will move up. Come up to this high mountain and I'll show you all these things. He's always trying to lift himself up. But God says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. By the way, being humble doesn't mean you don't have a role and responsibility. And so God has given the man physical strength and authority in the homes, not to lord over it, but to come under and to serve our wives and our families and to bless them. And yes, the husband is the leader. He is the head, without a doubt. Make that a point in your home. Your husband is the leader. Wives, just put it in your head. That's what it is. It's the way it is. Before the Lord. He doesn't want it any other way. But husbands are to lead considering the one they are leading and considering the one they are following, <laughs> right? We, we don't have ultimate authority whatsoever. We are submitted to the Lord Jesus and serving our wives as we come under them, just as Christ did with the church. And what wife does not want to submit to a guy who is laying down his life that she might live? Amen? So the key is, go die, guys, to ourselves and follow Jesus. Know him intimately, so intimately. Model him in every way and then live that out in your marriage. And by the way, there will be times when your wife wants to go in a direction that is not, is not of the Lord. Consider her, speak to her heart and draw her along in the Lord, but nevertheless, serve the Lord, amen? But there are times when you are the knucklehead. It happens, I know. Listen to her. I tell you what, I get amazing, amazing counsel from my wife. 
she has been a blessing throughout my entire life, grown life in, in ministry. I mean, hearing her counsel, godly counsel, I mean, she has, she has walked me off a cliff a thousand times. What a blessing. And so, guys, listen. Listen to your godly wives, amen? And so, Peter says that a believing husbands are to view our wives as the last thing here, heirs with us of the gracious gift of life. We're companions, not competitors. Can you get this into your marriage and in your head? We are companions, competitors. How, guys, how many, do you, how many of you guys want a competitor in your marriage? Raise your hand. How many want a companion? Women, are you listening? We don't want competitors. We want companions. I'm telling you. Wives, how many of you want to be dominated? Told what to do all the time. Oh, a lot of hands there. Guys, are you listening? How many wives want to be loved and served and like considered? I got, I got some hallelujahs. Hallelujah. I don't hear you, ladies. Hallelujah. Amen. Do you see the way God designed it? It's to where you get what you want by losing yourself. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You get what you truly not even want, but what, what God designed you for by losing yourself both ways. Wives submit, husbands submit. And when that happens, that's called love. Love is not a feeling, it's an action. For God so loved the world that he gave up his, home, his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. They'd be raised up. And that's the picture in our marriage. And we're co-heirs of this gracious gift of life. This isn't speaking about eternal life. This is speaking about life on earth. In the Greco-Roman world that Peter was speaking into, intimate companionship in marriage was a foreign concept. It really was. And Roman husband was generally uninterested in companionship, but rather just expected his wife to maintain the house and to give him kids. That's the cold Roman world that Peter's speaking into. And so not so with a believer. Our marriages are to be deep, intimate relationships where the grace of this life is shared in mutual love and submission. In a Christian marriage where the wife is submitting to her husband and her husband is serving his wife in love is a powerful witness to the broken world around us. And this is what I want to finish on. There should be no greater, greater witness among believers than our marriages. It should be a, just a total night and day. Marriages are a picture of Christ in the church, again, when a husband who leads his family in love is submitted to the Lord, being led by the Lord, but he's in tune with his wife and he's submitting to her in her needs. And you have a wife who submits to her husband and comes alongside and, and helps accomplish the things that God is placing in his heart for the family. I mean, what a great witness as everybody's working together to glorify God in the special way that he has made your marriage and your family. That's a beautiful witness. And that is not how the world is. The world is full of selfishness and power trips and gossip and 
backbiting and divided homes and destroyed relationships and divided camps and all these types of things. That's, that's the world. And sadly, the church struggles with that mightily. And so we must repent in our hearts. We must choose to do it God's way. We must choose to say, Lord, I've blown it. I've done this. Change me. I'm a knucklehead. God, help me. And God is so faithful to come in. And even at the ridicule of your spouse, to, to humble yourself before them and say, listen, this is who I've been. This is what I've done. This is what God says. Forgive me. And they might go, well, you're just going to have to prove it over 10 years. So you might. Just honor the Lord and humble yourself. God will do a work. And so church, we, we must be in prayer for one another. We must be in prayer for one another. My marriage is constantly under attack. Anybody else's marriage under attack? Just like, okay, just mine. Good. That's great to know. Yeah. I mean, must be in prayer for one another, not just for the sake of happiness so that we are happy, but so that the lost come to Christ, so that godly kids are raised. They actually see Christ in your marriage. Amen? And when they go out in the world, they go, man, this is ugly. That was good. What was going on there? Oh, Christ. So actually what the professors are saying is trash and what my mom and dad actually knew is actually true. Why? Look at the love. The love that's manifested. That's how the world will know is our love for one another. And this is where we're going for Christmas. John, 1 John 4, 9. You can look it up and read it. We'll get there on Christmas Eve. Eve. And so pray for one another. And it's interesting that Peter adds a little warning at the end. He says, do that. Got, you know, submit and consider your wives unless your prayers will end up being hindered. I don't know about you, but that's a bummer. And, and here's the point. If our closest earthly relationships are not right, why should we think our relationship with God would be unhindered? I mean, over and over and over in scriptures, the Lord lays this down. He says, go make it right with your brother and then come to me because that is the practical manifestation of your relationship with me. This is why he says, you know, hey, you've got an offering to give and you know someone has something against you. Lay it down go reconcile with them, then come back and offer it. But they did it to me, and, well, you did it to me, and I came and made it right with you. This is the way God's looking at it, right? So in your marriages, be the peacemaker. <laughs> Amen? Be the peacemaker. If they got something wrong with you, you've been wronged, go to them. Forgive them. How many times? 70 times 7. Anybody met that quota in their marriage yet? 70 times 7? Probably, and the idea is it doesn't stop. And so as we go this morning, wives, uh, my, my exhortation and encouragement to you is check your hearts and your attitudes before the Lord. So many precious, amazing women in this church that love the Lord and are, and are married, just 
Praise God for you, each of you. But check your hearts. Repent if necessary. Go submit to your husband. Trust the Lord, okay? And if there's specifics you need to work out, come with your husband, come chat. And husbands, consider your wives this week. Consider your wives today. If you think that you've considered them, think again. Ask them, honey, have I considered you? Do I know you? Do I understand you? Do you feel understood by me? And go seek them out. Find out how you can serve them in love. How you can love them like Christ loved you. Repent if necessary and submit yourself once again to the Lord Jesus in this area. And may the lost and hurting world see Christ in us, in our marriages, amen? And I want to say to those who are single or divorced or whatever might have happened, listen, God is still on the throne. God can, you know, so you, you, you know, I don't want to make light of sin. Divorce is a horrific thing and it's, it's horrible. The blood of Jesus Christ is greater than our sin. And when God forgives us, he forgives us absolutely and totally. doesn't mean there aren't consequences in this lifetime, but let me tell you, don't walk with your head down. Let the Lord restore you and lift you up and encourage you. Stand in the Lord again. For those of you who've been single for an eon and you'll never get married, don't worry about it. Live wholeheartedly after the Lord, Paul says. Just live like you're single, but I want to be married. I know you want to be married. Continue to love the Lord. Believe me, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Christine's quote. (coughs) Serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Go around the world for him. Start a mission trip. Do whatever it is. Lay your life out for Jesus. Because you aren't going to be able to do that as well when you're married. And when it's all said and done, did you live your life before the Lord in love? Did you love one another, whatever circumstances you're in? And that's kind of what, what matters. Not a worldly, fluffy love, but the love of Christ that lays down its life for others that they might live. So Lord God, we come before you. We ask that you'd restore us once again. We want to thank you for your Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin and not only convicts us but raises us up and encourages us and empowers us to live this life. And so, God, I pray for every marriage in this room, people here who are not here this morning, I ask that you would re, uh, repair and restore Uh, what the enemy has done, what our own selfishness has created. God, would you come in and do a massive work in here? Men would fall down before your throne and cry out for help, and women would once again trust you in difficult circumstances and deal with the inner workings of the hearts. Lord, that you would be honored, that you would do a great work, Lord, as you already have in so many. And so, we just ask for your, your work, a work that we could never do in ourselves, but yet we will step out in faith to accomplish in obedience. And so God, protect the marriages, restore, and we ask these things in the name of Jesus, amen.